All right, if you have your Bible, turn to John chapter 2. If you want to follow along on version on your phone, again, there is some bonus material uh, in the app. Just go to events, church together, click on today's link, and it will take you there. You'll find the scripture and some other stuff as well. I've been uh, teaching and preaching for a long time, and I don't think I have ever taught on this passage before. If I did, it wasn't very good because I forgot about it. (laughs) But I've referenced it a few times, and it's a story that probably you will have heard of because it's famous for being the first miracle that Jesus did. But contained in this story... I believe are some vital key core components about what it means to build healthy relationships. And so when I was studying, that's what I was looking for. What are the clues that help us make and maintain healthy relationships? But as I was studying, it dawned on me that as Jesus is showing us that, he's also showing us what it means to have a friendship with him. So I was trying to manipulate the scripture to say what I wanted to say, and I just got caught in saying, hey, there's a bigger picture here, that as Jesus is teaching us about each other, he's also teaching us about him. Some of you are going to really relate to this story because it revolves around one of these. And it revolves around a whole lot of these. Now, I'm not too familiar with what's in these bottles. Don't give me that look. Really, I'm I'm not. I'm by no way the connoisseur. I can tell a red wine from a white wine, but that's about it. But throughout centuries, this drink... And this cup, despite doing some destructive things from time to time, have helped bring people together in some wonderful ways. And Jesus knew this, and so in this story, this very first time that we see Jesus in action, it's sitting at a table in a big celebration, at a lavish party, around some wine. So John chapter 2. Just before John chapter 2 is John chapter (laughs) 1. I've really been doing my studying this week. Really been studying this week. And in John chapter 1, not only is Jesus born... (laughs) But we see him start his ministry, and he, and he calls his first disciples. And he says, you guys, you're the ones, come follow me. And for some reason, there was something about Jesus that was so compelling that just like that, they said, I'm in. I got my life, it's going all right, I'm doing my thing, but there's something about that man that I want to follow. And so 
They start this relationship together. And it's in John chapter 2 where we see just a couple of days into that new relationship, this story happened. Chapter 2. The next day, some versions will say that this was Wednesday, the third day. Now, the third day has always been uh, significant, right, in the Gospels. But Wednesday was the days when Jewish weddings happened. Jewish weddings in these days were a big deal, right? It wasn't like you, you know, you took a, a day. It was a, it was a two-week deal, right? The whole town stopped. Everybody came together. Everybody celebrated. The bride and the groom, they'd been through this long process of getting ready, and they were treated like king and queen, during that wedding period. In fact, the bride and groom didn't go on honeymoon like we do now. They stayed at home and everybody came and greeted them and gave them gifts and treated them as subjects because really they were the king and the queen. This wedding takes place in a town called Cana in Galilee. Cana is just on the outskirts of Nazareth. So it's very likely, and it makes sense because of the role that Mary, Jesus' mom, had in this ceremony, that the people in Cana were connected with the people of Nazareth, so it was like a big party. Now, we don't know much about Nazareth. We know it was Jesus, where Jesus came from, but we do know that people said about Nazareth, can anything good come out of here? Nazareth had one of those reputations as been a place that no one really wanted to go, right? Those kind of people lived in Nazareth. The community wasn't very strong in Nazareth. The economy wasn't very healthy in Nazareth. This wedding where Jesus tries and announces himself is in Cana, which is the armpit of Nazareth. It's like the armpit of the armpit, right? I, I, I would hazard a guess at some of the places that could be in our geography, but I would get in trouble for that. It was a rough, not very nice, struggling place. But it's here that Jesus chooses to launch his ministry. And I think one of the things that Jesus is saying here is that I have come to go to some of those most broken, difficult, rejected places, and it's here I want to do something beautiful. Choosing Cana to launch his ministry made perfect sense for what his ministry was going to be about. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited in the celebration. Jesus has got his new friends, his new disciples. They're like two days into this friendship. 
And we knew that Jesus has high expectations for these friends, right? He wants to use them to change the world and to, to share and spread the message of the gospel, which is still around today, 2,000 years later, right? These guys had to get it right. So you would think that as Jesus starts his time with his disciples, he wants to put them in some kind of training session for some onboarding process for a few weeks or months. Jesus starts his ministry with his disciples at a party because he knows that this gospel that he lives is all based and wrapped up in relationships. It's all about people. It's going to be spread through people. So it makes sense that when Jesus starts, he doesn't put them in some kind of onboarding seminar, going through some policies and procedures, man. He says, let's, let's go to a party. Let's get to know each other there. And through that, you'll get to know who I am. It's in Cana, the armpit of the armpit. Jesus is with his new disciples. He onboards them, not with policies and procedures, but by inviting them to relationship. And the third thing to notice is that Jesus wants to get to know his friends at a wedding. Why is that significant? Because at weddings, you make covenants. You go to a wedding to see two people, not to sign a contract, But you see two people who are in love and who are making trust-filled promises to each other before God that the two are going to become one. And it's in that setting that Jesus is using that picture to define the kind of relationship that he wants his people to have with him. Jesus isn't looking for us to sign a contract with him that says, hey, you do this, this, and this, and I'll do that, that, and that. Jesus is saying, let's be friends. Let's develop this this trust, promise-based covenant of love. The first thing that this story tells us, I believe, is not only was Jesus all about relationships, But he made it his business to go where people were. Again, we talked about this last week a little bit, didn't we? So often the temptation for us as a Christian is to say, hey, Jesus, I get it. Me and you, we're on the same page. We got it. We got it down. Let me go to my room and just like write out life until we can be together in heaven. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not the plan. The plan is that because we have this relationship this way, you have to develop the relationship that way because we've got a whole lot of other people to love as well. And the way to love those people and the way to invite those people into relationship is to go where people are. He got invited to the party One of the things that concerns me greatly about our society at the moment is that we as people of faith don't get invited to the parties and to the conversations and around the people who need our message the most. And often when we hear that, our first blame goes towards them. They've been mean. They're discriminating against us. 
But the reality is we haven't lived in ways that are worthy of being invited to some of those tables. Jesus was invited to the party and he accepted that invitation. The first thing I think that Jesus is saying here is that this gospel is all about relationships. And if we want relationships that make a difference, we've got to live in holy ways so that we get invited to that party. Jesus was invited to the party. It's a big deal. Everybody's celebrating. Everybody's laughing. It's a moment that everybody's been waiting for. And then something happens in that the cup starts to get empty. Verse 3. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they've got no more wine. <laughs> if I'm Jesus, I'm thinking, not my problem. <laughs> In fact, if I'm Jesus, I'm probably thinking, wow, someone didn't plan very well. Let, let them learn that lesson. Jesus says in verse 4, dear woman, and he calls his mom woman, and we kind of bristle at that a little bit, but a better translation is lady. It's a much more softer, endearing term. It's the same word he used at the cross, right, when he called her woman there. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Some versions say, my hour had not yet come. And it's interesting that right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry here, right, he's looking towards that hour. And that hour he's looking for is that hour that changed history, right? When he hung on the cross and he died for our sins, right? That's the hour he's talking about. He says, it's not my time yet. It's not my problem. I'm backing out. But like any good son, he wanted to listen to his mom. And I imagine his mom just makes the requests. Jesus protests a little bit. And his mom just walks off saying to the servants, verse 5, do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> and Jesus, being the good son that he is, decides to do it. What I love about Mary here is that she's faced with a problem and somehow she's got some responsibility for the party. Some people say that it could have been her sister's uh, children who are getting married, so maybe even one of Jesus' cousins. But somehow she's got some leadership role and she's got a big problem because running out of wine is a major faux pas, right? At this week-long wedding, to run out on day one, you got a problem. She doesn't stress concern herself, get eaten up with anxiety. She just says, Jesus, you deal with it. And she tells the servants, hey, he's going to deal with it, do whatever he says. She's got no idea how Jesus is going to solve the problem, but she's more than okay with trusting Jesus with the problem. Man, what a lesson that is for us, right? Jesus, I got this thing coming at me like a juggernaut. I don't know how to handle it. 
What do I do? Where do I run? How do I maneuver? How do I manipulate? Mary would say, ah, just trust Jesus. Do whatever he says. I got this bill coming. I got this threat at work. I got this problem in my relationship. This isn't working. How do I, how, how do I manipulate that? Mary would say, ah, just let Jesus handle it. What, what beautiful trust she has. Mary teaches us something about relationships here, right? That when we're worried, when we're feeling anxious, when we don't know what to do, the best thing we can do is just to trust God. That anxiety, that worry, that fear, we just turn it over to him. We don't know how he's going to answer, but he says he will. We don't know how he's going to bring us through, but he does. She learns to trust. The second thing I think Jesus is teaching us here, first of all, go where people go, be invited. Secondly, do what your mama says and be involved. Jesus tried to say, hey, it's not my time, I'm not ready, but when push came to shove, he did what he needed to do and he, he got involved. Verse six. This is the third thing that I think marks friendship. Don't just go where people are. Don't just do what your mama always told you and be involved, but help people get what they need. So in this room, there are these six big jugs, right? Huge jugs. The scripture says that they held between 20 or 30 gallons. Now, these jugs were used for the purification ritual when people came into their house. Now, purification ritual, that sounds like a very glamorous task, but really, this was just the dirty water to wash people's feet and to wash people's hands, right? This, was, this wasn't the water that you showered with. This certainly wasn't the water that you drank, right? This may be the water that you watered your plants with, right? But in the corner of the room in this wedding, every house had them because you had to have the purification stuff, right? With these six um, jugs, these water jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons of water. Jesus told his servants, fill the jars with water. That's a lot of, a lot of water, right? 30 gallons times six jugs, that's a lot of gallons. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. The thing I want to say, because we know what's coming next, right, that the water turns to wine, is that that's a lot of wine. That's an awful lot of wine for one party. So I, I did the math, and if you're good at math, don't check me, because I could have got it wrong. Here we go. Here we go. 12 bottles of wine is about 2.3 gallons. So that's 36 bottles of wine per jug. Six jugs, six times 32. I said 36? 200, you got your calculator out, Aaron? 
Is it 216 bottles of wine? Correct. 216 bottles of wine for one party at night. Right? That's a lot of wine. Right? Huh? Well, it was weak, but it wasn't like, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, they, everyone else got on with their lives, you know, thing. 216 bottles of wine. Now, more than that, because um, it, it wasn't cool as it still isn't to get drunk, they would mix their wine with water, right? Uh, two, I think it was three-fifths water to two-fifths of wine, right? So really, what Jesus is doing, and again, this math was way out of my head. Free bottle of wine to the person who can work out how far the wine went. But because they, <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan's going for it. Aaron, I'll give it to your mom, but I'm not giving it to you. <laughs> if, you can, if you can work it out, right? But the point is, not only does Jesus... Jesus created 216 bottles of wine for this party. But he, he creates more because they dilute it, right? The big point, the big thing that Jesus is saying about our relationship with him and our relationship with each other is not just that Jesus takes the wastewater and turns it into something beautiful. That's a different message all on its own. Is that Jesus gives us more than we need. He gives extravagantly. He gives abundantly. He doesn't just do enough to get by. He's given them more wine than they could drink in, a, in, in all kinds of parties, right? Because he's the God who gives more. He doesn't just help them get what they need. He has this extravagant provision. And over the next three years of Jesus' ministry, that's a pattern that we see. Remember the feeding of 5,000? Little bit of bread, little bit of fish, feeds 5,000 people. Then we read they have 12 baskets left over because it's the same God who is the God of abundance and extravagance, right? That's the promise in our relationship, our friendship with God. That's the trait of a healthy friendship with each other. That we're sharing from the overflow, from the abundance, from the extravagance. It's interesting as well that the servants at the party, who were now, because Mary empowered them working for Jesus, they got to be a part of that miracle. It wasn't until they took up the jugs and poured them that it became wine, right? And a miracle is God's miracle. There's no way any man could have done that. But I think one of the things that the scripture reminds us is that we have a role in the miracles that God wants to perform, right? If we want God to do something, our role isn't just to sit back and to let it happen. We've got to be active participants. We're invited to be active participants in God's miracles. Jesus is helping people get what they need by being invested in what's going on. Verse 9, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. 
Master of Ceremonies was probably like the wedding planner, right? So he, he was probably in control of all the details, right? So he thought he had it all down, and really he was in trouble because he'd ran out too soon. And Jesus had kind of saved his, his, his job a little bit. So he goes to the, the bridegroom and says, man, you have something pretty special. Because normally, and I've been to thousands of these things, a host always serves the best wine first. He said, then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. I mean, that's not a bad strategy, right? Get people drunk on the good stuff so that by the time you bring the bad stuff out, they're too drunk to realize it's bad stuff. He says, that's the way it works in our industry. But man, you've done something special and something different here. You've saved the best to last. You have kept the best until now. And there's another promise of what it means to have relationship with God. And it's another marker of how healthy our relationships are, that as they get longer they get better. I came to know Jesus when I was a kid, when I was like 15 years old, and I thought it was, was awesome. I didn't think life could get any better than, than knowing the Son of God himself. But here I am a number of years later. Man, it's infinitely better because it's infinitely richer. It's the same way in our human relationships, right? When we make friends, we, we, we enjoy that, that, that friendship. In, in, in our, our marriages as well, right? We, we meet and we fall in love and it's wonderful. And then something changes and it gets better and it gets deeper and it gets richer. And Jesus is saying, there are greater things ahead. What you're experiencing now, there is more. Man, the wine may be good at first but it's not going to be as good as the wine that's to come later. Perhaps here he's given his prophetic picture of what heaven looks like. Yeah, life on earth with me is better. It's good. But man, you wait till, till, till we're fully together in heaven. That's when we really get the good stuff. Go where people go, be invited. Do what your mama says, be involved. Help people get where they need, be invested. Give the best to the rest, be intentional. He's given more than they need in terms of quality and in terms of quantity. Verse 11, we'll wrap up with this. The miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was it the first time was the first time that Jesus revealed his glory man and how glorious it was right the party was great because a couple were getting married the party was great because the community came together the party was great because they had great food and incredible wine but on top of that it moved to the next level because God had showed up in the form of Jesus and done a miracle. I mean, imagine for Mary, right? She's been with Jesus, her son, for 30 years. She's held on to this promise. And right here, that promise starts to become real. 
Everything moves to the next level. The MC, who was probably going to lose his job for a failed wedding, Jesus shows up and things are different. These disciples, who a week ago were fishermen, all of a sudden realize that the guy they've said yes to is a little bit different. And that's what strikes me most about this. Verse 11, the second part, and his disciples believed him. Isn't that a weird statement? They've just given up everything to follow him because they believed him, but it wasn't until they saw God work that they believed him more. They started to see that they had followed the right one. They started to see that they were heading in the right direction. They were starting to see that they had sacrificed and given things up to something so much bigger than themselves. And perhaps that hope that they dreamed of was starting to become real for them. This story where Jesus launches his ministry, where he sits down at a party with a glass of wine, is all about relationships. It's about how we develop healthy relationships with each other. We, we, we go where people are. We, we be involved. We get invested. We be intentional. We be invitational. Because that's how, how love works. That's how the gospel is spread. But that's just not just the story of of this passage, it's first about the God who wants to make a promise-based commitment with us, like a covenant, who wants to enter into a trust relationship with us, like Mary did when she said, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to trust you. It's about a God who's not just going to give us enough, but is going to give us 216 bottles. Extravagantly, abundantly. It's about a God who is promising that what is to come is greater than what is. And that hope we have, and that hope that we sometimes try so hard to hold on to, even though it slips away, is worth holding on to because it's going to turn into something beautiful and something powerful. It's going to reveal and show the glory of God. It was a relational setting that Jesus used to start to change the world. He encourages us to build relationships, to, to do these things, to hold these parties so that we can help him accomplish that. But first, I think what Jesus is saying through this story is that our friendships with each other are only going to be as strong as our friendship with him. Do we trust him? Do we believe that he's going to take the 
ugly parts of our life, the, the dirty water in the jugs or the armpit of the armpit city and turn them into something beautiful? Can we hold on to the promise that what is ahead is greater than what is? That's the first friendship, the first relationship that God invites us into.